The following program is a presentation of Grace Communion International and Grace Communion Seminary and is made possible by generous donations from viewers like you. On this episode of You Were Included, theologian Dr. Paul Lewis Metzger explores how we can participate in the triune life of God. Our host is Dr. J. Michael Fazell. Thanks for being with us. It's great to be here, Mike. Thanks so much. I'd like to talk about the, uh, your, your book, Trinitarian Soundings um, in Systematic Theology. You edited this book and uh, worked on bringing the authors together. What uh, themes did you see emerge in the preparation of this book? I'd like to preface that by saying uh, a little bit about what the book uh, did in terms of bringing together these respective contributors and what the aim of the book was. And yeah. it was to bring together many contributors who shared uh, interest, passion, conviction on the subject of Trinitarian theology and to look at most, if not all, the major doctrines in what is called systematic theology from the vantage point of Trinitarian thought. So, for example, uh, prolegomena, uh, which is first steps in theology, the, the first foundational guidelines for how you're going to do theology. What does that look like from a Trinitarian perspective? Uh, the doctrine of revelation, what does that look like? The doctrine of the image of God or the divine attributes or perfections, uh, the sacraments or ordinances, and on it went. Ethics. Uh, we dealt with various subjects, sin and grace, all from this vantage point of uh, Trinitarian theology. So that was the aim of the book, and I was really encouraged by the consistency and the integrity of the work uh, as a whole with the different contributors and uh, the themes that appeared and continue to appear, to appear. And that brings us to the question you were asking. And I think a, a key theme that would appear at uh, various points would be participation, participation in the triune life of God. And we'll come to that later as we're discussing issues of grace and how that gets us beyond legalism and uh, even burnout in ministry, uh, things of that sort. But that issue of participation in Christ and, again, that God does everything through the Son and the Spirit. Uh, that is a key aspect of Trinitarian thought. Colin Gunton would like to quote, and it was, the book was dedicated to his memory uh, as a Trinitarian theologian. Gunton would like to quote uh, Irenaeus, uh, the second century theologian who said, that God does everything through his two hands, the Son and the Spirit. So again, that was a, a key framework, uh, a key aspect that continued to appear, that God works always through the personal mediation of the Son and Spirit. And the personal dynamic, the interpersonal nature uh, of God and how that has import for how we live, uh, for issues like Revelation where we look at the Bible relationally. We understand sin and grace from a non-relational, in the case of sin, and relational perspective, from a relational perspective, in the case of grace. Uh, all those things came into play. And atonement, understanding the atonement from the standpoint of this Trinitarian relational uh, matrix. So those are some of the themes that appeared and reappeared in the book. And uh, Others have said that it, they felt that it was a fitting tribute 
to Professor Gunton, who was my theological mentor from my doctoral studies days and whom I, I miss dearly. And uh, he's had an impact on multitudes of people uh, across the world. And I'm just grateful for the privilege of having worked under his supervision for a time. Well, I'm sure a lot of people will find that book uh, both encouraging and as well as a great resource for uh, understanding Trinitarian theology and its practical impact. Uh, your latest book um, is Exploring Ecclesiology. Uh, you co-authored with Brad Harper, and it's uh, subtitled An Evangelical and Ecumenical Introduction. Can you tell us about that one? The book Exploring Ecclesiology is uh, framed by way of a Trinitarian and eschatological vantage point. Those are the two uh, angles, if you will, um, from which we approach all the different subjects that you would hope to find in an introductory text on the doctrine of the church, which is ecclesiology, so the study of the church. So when we deal with the sacraments or the ordinances, when we deal with issues of order in ministry, worship, and culture, and mission, uh, all from the standpoint, in one way or another, from a Trinitarian and kingdom vantage point. Uh, Dr. Harper, Brad Harper, did his work on George Ladd uh, at the University of St. Louis for his doctoral studies. And so that Laddian paradigm of the now and not yet, uh, that, that enters into play when we look at the church. And in many contexts, especially amongst dispensationalists in America, uh, I have a great respect for dispensationalism, and I teach at a school that's historically that. But often uh, those in the dispensationalist tradition have not seen the church itself as a kingdom community because the kingdom is all future and it's Israel. And so this was unique in that sense to talk about the gospel of the kingdom, the church is the community, the eschatological community of the triune God. And that has practical import when you're talking about such issues as race and the like. And I have alluded to this in some of our previous segments. The church must live now in light of what will be. And so we, to use Harper's words, must uh, bring the future into the present. We live now in light of that eschatological reality in the present context, the now uh, of the not yet, uh, so to speak. And so the church would be, must be seen, as others have argued, as a concrete manifestation of the eschatological kingdom. There was also that aspect of Trinitarian thought in that we must see ourselves, and this is how the book starts out with the first chapter, as a being-driven community. The first chapter is the church as a Trinitarian community. Uh, then the church is a kingdom community, so to speak. And so the church is a Trinitarian community, the being-driven church. While I think that Pastor Warren's purposes for purpose-driven church are biblical, I don't see a problem with them, I think more foundational than purpose and activity is being, uh, communion, relationality. We should all be purposeful, but you can be purposeful in a variety of ways. And what about the baby who doesn't have much purpose in life or the elderly person who's not able to function very well? They might not be seen to have much purpose, but they're still loved and they're in relationship, I would hope, in the church. And yet we so often look at people pragmatically in, in a utilitarian way of what benefit we can gain from them if they attend our church. What are they going to put in the offering plate or what kind of tools or giftings might they have? And of course, we want people to bring their resources and gifts and talents to the church, but do we care for them as persons in relationship? We have all these churches that are called community church, 
But as a friend of mine in London said, the very thing people want most, they find most difficult to give, communion. Uh, we all want it, but it's costly, and, it's, and it causes for a lot of consternation because we usually don't want to really build the kind of community that's needed, and that causes, calls for a lot of sacrifice. And so relationality must be at the core. And so the Trinitarian framework of our churches being the people of God, because that's what we are biblically, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body and bride of Christ, uh, those things, the household of God. Most of those images, if not all of them, are framed relationally, organically, and not by way of institutional frames of reference. And I would hope that as we're inviting people to our churches, that they're coming not because we have the best programs in town, which I think can play into consumerism. Who has the best children's programs? Who has the best latte? You know, who has the best coffee bar? You know, on and on it goes. Instead of that kind of frame of reference, it should be come be the people of God with us, participational, relational. And that's key to the book. And yet, as George Huntsberger, a leading figure on missional theology, has said, so often in America, the church is viewed as a vendor of religious goods and services. Again, commodification of human identity and of spirituality and consumerism. What we're trying to get at is that the church is the kingdom community, the people of the triune God, and we must live as that people in the here and now. And I would just like to mention one other point that brings us into the issue of contemporary cultural considerations. And uh, as you had mentioned in the introduction at a few points uh, in our various talks, that uh, I edit a journal called Cultural Encounters, which is a biblically informed Trinitarian engagement of contemporary culture and its various manifestations. And I have a real burden for that, and it flows out of an institute I direct called New Wine, New Wineskins at Multnomah Biblical Seminary in Portland. And with that cultural uh, framing, and we did a lot of the chapters, follow-up sections, as well as a major chapter in exploring ecclesiology from this cultural vantage point, uh, in America, the church is often seen as a voluntary association of religious individuals whose true allegiance lies with the state, the market, or the nuclear family, rather than being seen as the people of the triune God, the kingdom community of the triune God. And I think we need to move beyond that idea of voluntary association of religious individuals, where we just pick and choose the churches we want to attend, and we find our true identity with the state, the market, or even the soccer family motif of you know, finding that people are more connected to those after-school or weekend programs than they are to being part of the people of God. And there are many reasons why that's a problem, partly the way America's framed from its founding, uh, but also contemporary consumer problems. So these are all themes that emerge and re-emerge in the book, and we're hopeful that it will be of help not only to evangelicalism, but to the broader church as well, because it is also an ecumenical book concerned for the church at large. But we're hopeful that it will help the evangelical community become more ecclesially framed. With all of our emphasis on individuality, it's very hard for us to see the church as something other than the people of God. We so readily look at it as a means to an end of helping our own individual spirituality. And God's concern is, first and foremost, for the church. I'm not the bride of Christ. I'm not the body of Christ. I'm part of the bride. I'm part of the body. So the church's concerns must far outweigh my own concerns in the church. Uh, what advice would you give pastors who want to shift their focus to, from legalism to grace, from uh, a, a more inward kind of a theology to a Trinitarian theology? 
as it relates to the doctrine yeah. of the church and the and the like. I think for one, when we're talking about the church as the kingdom community of the triune God and God is a holy lover, uh, we must always see that we have to get beyond uh, this idea of sin management, that we're going to church to manage our sin, to keep it under lock and key and close the doors. And in fact, we don't even deal with our sin in the church. There's a lot of dysfunction. You know, it's like with being an alcoholic and I have friends and loved ones uh, who uh, struggle in, in that way. So I don't mean this in any demeaning manner, but uh, that, you know, don't talk, don't feel, don't think about these things. That pertains to a variety of issues in the church. And we don't have safety. We don't have authenticity. We have to create a safe environment where people can be authentic and really deal with issues. And one of the things we get at in exploring ecclesiology is that we need to see the church as not simply a sanctuary of saints, but also a hospital for sinners. As Martin Luther made quite clear, we are both unrighteous apart from Christ, but also righteous, but only in Christ. And so we have to keep that dialectic in mind that if we're to move beyond behavioral Christianity, we have to acknowledge that we're all broken people saved by God's loving grace. And we're on this journey together. Uh, We're not finished products and we need to love on one another and even see truth and holiness relationally. And so with truth, instead of having a guard, uh, a guard keeping mentality of gatekeeping and if anyone doesn't line up theologically, we're just going to oust them. Using doctrine as a means of how do we help people grow in the truth of Jesus Christ and to actually have a mindset that uh, we're about relational truth, not truth uh, as some kind of doctrinal position that we simply uh, recite and then stick on a, on a wall. No, it's, it's, it's articulating what it is we believe and the reality of God in whom we participate. And so it's, it's from a relational framework. And I believe that does help us get beyond behavioralism and legalism and, and to really work with people of disclosing to them first and foremost in preaching and in other ways this idea of who God is revealed in Jesus Christ uh, in the power of the Spirit as God is a holy lover and as someone who longs to have communion with us and to, to understand who we are as the church in relationship to that God, I think that's really exciting to me and where I would hope that pastors would increasingly move to uh, invite people to taste and see what the Lord that the Lord is good in the communion of his saints. If there was one main thing that you'd like to get across to people about God, what would that be? I would long for people to know, and not simply to know cognitively, but to know experientially that God in Christ truly loves them. I look out at the faces of people when I share about God's holy love for us in Christ and the Spirit, and that God loves us dearly, and I can see so often in people's eyes a longing, a sense of longing that If only that were true. I wish that were true. I want that to be true. But I think we live in a culture today where there's so much dysfunction in the family and in society at large. People don't know what it's like to be loved, to be cared for, faithfully uh, for the long term, for the long haul. And so show me a child who is secure and I'll show you a child who is loved. Show me a child who's insecure and I'll show you a child who's not been loved. And You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, 
uh, was all about trying to perform, was all about trying to gain merit and worth and security. And I think that he struggled with these pharisaical teachers about the circumcision laws who were really trying to take people away from security in Christ toward insecurity. And Paul was all about moving beyond that because he was in that frame of reference for such a long time and that Jesus would come on the Damascus Road and love him, transform him, make him his own, make him someone who had a calling, a purpose, and life in him. Those who are forgiven much love much. And uh, myself, I've often had and still struggle with insecurities. And it's often in my hard times, not the good times, but in my hard times, that I have found that God truly loves me and that God comes close. And when I'm thinking, if I go through these hard times, how will I ever make it? And I have found time and time again that he is there to sustain and to lift me up and to draw me into a closer relationship with him through his son. I don't mean this as pie in the sky, impractical spirituality. This is to me the most important thing. The people I mentor in the internship program with New Wine, New Wineskins, the thing I want for them is what I want for myself too, is that whenever they're ministering, from whatever vantage point, it's not that they're trying to measure up and, and to make something of their lives, that everything would be not from measuring up, but from the measureless overflow of God's love in Christ. And again, Romans 5.5, 5, I love coming back to that text. It was a key text to Luther, a key text to Jonathan Edwards, and a key text to St. Augustine. The love of God is poured out into our hearts uh, through the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's that love that creates faith because if a child doesn't trust a parent, they're not going to believe in that parent. If they don't think that that parent loves them, they're really not going to trust. And it's only when they know that their parent really cares for them and is living it out that the child really trusts. And so I think it's important for ministry, vitally important. How many people are on the, in our chairs, in the pews, in the pulpits who really don't think God loves them? They're performing in order to try and get at that. And I can't wave a magic wand and make that happen for people. I think it comes through the trenches, the, the, the difficulties of life experiences and being loved on by other people. Because in the church, what we need is people who come alongside us and say, just as Christ has accepted us, Romans 15, 7, so I accept you. And I, I had uh, a very painful past. Uh, I was very rebellious as a youth and went through a lot of self-doubt going into the ministry. And I remember a pastor, mentor of mine, who said, I accept you, Paul, and I love you, and I care for you, and I believe God's hand is upon you. And he spoke forth the words of Christ to me and the love of Christ and mentored me and secured me in that love because God does use his people to that. And, and, and we need one another to confess our sins to one another, as the New Testament talks about, and also to encourage and exhort one another, but from a relational vantage point of moving forward, participating in the triune life of God and his story, and that we're a part of that story is amazing to me. That's good news. Where would you, where do you see the church or where would you like to see the church in general in the U.S. 10 years from now? I would hope that as the church, I would long for this, I would pray for this, that we would be beyond the performance frame of reference of the, the drivenness towards success. Uh, well, I want us to be good stewards. I think a lot of times we're trying to play the role of God uh, in the numbers games that we play in one church competing with another church, uh, and it's often subtle sometimes not so subtle, uh, but performance-based spirituality of 
you know, pastors go to conferences and, you know, the question that's often asked of them I hear is, so how big is your church? Mm. Uh, and if their church is small, they lose value. That's the kind of thing that I think is really problematic. And then that pastor brings that pressure back to their churches and then they start viewing people as means to an end of growing the church rather than they themselves are the end as the church, the people of God are. And for an academic like myself, is it public, publish or perish? Or is the writing I do simply gratitude of just delighting in God's love and just having a burden to express that and not looking to how I can build my resume? So, I mean, I have the struggles too. Pastors have their own struggles. But, and then that, how does that shape itself in the lives of parishioners and the congregations? That performance of measuring up, measuring up, measuring up, and, you know, not making, not, not making it. And the call to sanctification in the churches should not be, you know, don't be who you are, be what you're supposed to be. That's not how the Apostle Paul spoke. It was be who you are, not what you once were. And so we're calling on people to be who they are in Christ and to be that together with them and to move into that safety and authenticity bound up with the holy love of God in Christ that secures us in the Spirit poured out in our lives and in our hearts. That's what I would hope for the church to move into and the reconciliation that that entails on subjects as we've talked before in previous sessions on moving beyond racism and classism divisions and the like and move toward a unity that's really a reconciled unity in the power of the Spirit to the honor of Jesus for the Father. What do you see as some of the causes uh, for legalism and behaviorism in Christian churches? I believe people-pleasing is a really huge problem. I think of the Gospel of John. I'm working on a book on that subject uh, with InterVarsity. And one of the themes that keeps coming up is that they love the praise or the glory of man rather than the praise or glory of God. Whereas Jesus loved the Father's praise. He longed for the Father's affirmation. He had it. It wasn't something he had to go and seek after. But that's what concerned him is was he pleasing his father? And that, that filial connection, that love relationship of the father and son, it kept Jesus uh, immune to people-pleasing in his human state. It kept him from that, that evil. And Paul says quite strongly uh, in the Galatians uh, epistle, you know, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? If I am still trying to win the approval of men, I am not a servant of Christ. And he says, you foolish Galatians, having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And he talks there about how he had to rebuke Peter in that same book because Peter would not associate with the Gentiles in table fellowship, but with the Jews because he was afraid of the Judaizers, so to speak, I believe, and, or just what his own people might think of him. And that enslaved him to a godless passion. When we're to be enslaved, as Martin Luther and others have talked about, we need to be enslaved to a godly passion, uh, controlled by the Spirit. And that's not legalism because those who are controlled by the Spirit they're not enslaved to the, the law of sin and death, but they live by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against, against such things, there is no law. Again, the book of Galatians. So people-pleasing, I think, it causes us to look inward, trying to compensate, to cope, because we're trying to win the approval of people who are out to win their own approval. And that's not freeing. That's enslaving in a very dysfunctional manner. So I'd say people-pleasing is a huge problem. I think there's also the legalism that's bound up with uh, performance-based spirituality. And one of the things that Trinitarian theology 
uh, involves is this key theme of participation. We've mentioned that. We've talked about it in different segments. Uh, but my own dean, uh, Dr. Robert Redmond, has talked about how there's so much ministry burnout, people talking about what they need to do for God, what they must do for God uh, in ministry, instead of what they do in God. You know, abide in me, and my word, uh, may it abide in you. You know, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. And so it's participation. We live in God, not simply live for God. And God doesn't even see us simply through Christ. He sees us in Christ. Paul's key phrase, en Christo, in Christ. But that would be the vantage point that guards us from legalism. It guards us from a performance-based spirituality. And I'm really excited about what's going on in your own movement. I believe it's a movement of God's Spirit. I see so seldom a real vibrant concern for Trinitarian theology, and I cannot say enough how encouraged I am by what you're doing And I would just encourage you and those who work with you, Mike, to keep moving in this direction because you're an encouragement to me, you're a good challenge to me and to many others uh, to keep the faith and to press on in terms of Trinitarian thought because it's not life-taking, it's life-giving. It's made all the difference in the world to me because it's not a program, it's not a product that we sell to people. This is our God. God is a triune communion of persons, eternal, holy, life-giving, and calls us to participate in God's story for eternity. That is what I'm willing to live and die for. This is good news to me, and you guys are leading the charge by the Spirit of God, leading through you to move in this direction, and I can only pray God's richest blessings on you in this profound work. So thank you. Thank you. You've been watching You're Included, a production of Grace Communion International.